culture dorkery i am your host phantom troublemaker and before we get any further i want to tell you about odious lists an all new party game that neil patrick harris calls hilarious and we all like nph right he's a guy with good taste inspired by categories you pick a letter of the alphabet then come up with answers for prompts like and and what i've got uh, I have played this game with some friends. We had a blast, and here's the deal. It comes with a 20-sided die. Each side of that die has a letter on it. You've got a 24 lists, and you go through, and you get extra points for alliteration, but you have to answer prompts like places an adventurous couple might have sex. Pregnancy is blank. Things you might compare a very small penis to. My grandparents were in the greatest generation. I'm in the blank generation. Types of booze. Things you don't give a shit about. Blank is a huge turn on. Uh, and and there, each list has six different prompts. And you go through and you fill out uh, six words that begin with the same letter for each of the prompts. And it's hilarious. And there's a lot of interaction there's a lot of teamwork to kind of determine uh who gets points you can make up your own rules for it even uh we had a deal where if uh certain conditions were met you got more points but anyway this thing is a lot of fun uh we there we went through about 20 of the lists because we had intended to sit down and just go through maybe 10 or 12 just to get a feel for the game because I wanted to write a review for needlessthingsite.com and uh, they, uh, an advertising agency contacted me for odious lists and you guys know how I roll. I'm not going to put over some bullshit but I'm putting this game over as a lot of fun. You're going to enjoy it. I, I personally guarantee you're going to have fun playing this thing with your friends. If you want to check it out, go to needlessthingsite.com. There's a big old square right at the top right side of the page with Odious. Click on that and go buy it through there. Needless Things gets a kickback. But you guys know I wouldn't be advertising this if I didn't believe in it. We played it. It's a lot of fun. We're going to play it again. Uh, I'm very impressed with the way it was put together with the ease of play and with how you can kind of play for as long as you want. So go check it out. Odious Lists. Go to NeedlessThingsSite.com. Click on the big Odious Square and go buy yourself a copy and help out Needless Things. All right, moving on. I am trying to keep it down a little bit right now because it's 6.30 in the morning. I just got home from a night of work and the family, three dogs, one eight-year-old, and my wife are upstairs sound asleep and I do not want to wake them up because, you know, they don't they don't need to be bothered by my work schedule. So I'm trying to keep it low key here. I thought that I was, well, I knew I was going to be coming home and recording the intro because tomorrow I have to get up and be at the doctor at noon. So I'll get off work five o'clock in the morning, drive home, takes about an hour, uh, lay down. If I'm lucky, I'll get maybe about four hours of sleep. We'll see how that goes. So tomorrow I, I have no time 
when I get home in the morning to do anything. So I had to get this done today, uh, do my intro and take care of business. Yes, I am finally, if you've been listening to the show, you know I've been under the weather. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Well, I kind of do because it's, it's usually either a sinus infection or some other, like it's kind of the same thing every time. And, and it's just been coming and going. And finally, I'm, I'm going to the doctor, which is stupid. I should have done it weeks ago, but I didn't. So anyway, yes, I am getting that taken care of finally. So you guys won't have to hear about that anymore. Uh, I thought I was going to be coming home and watching the beginning of the Cruiserweight Classic on WWE Network. But it turns out what, went, what played last night was just a rundown of the contestants, which granted, I still want to watch, but I thought I was coming home to sit down and like get in two hours of wrestling, which involves me getting what I'm doing right now done and then going and sitting in my comfy leather recliner to, to pay attention to wrestling because I want to watch this thing. But fortunately, last night it was just a rundown, so once I'm done talking to you guys, I can put this thing on and just listen to it in the background and not worry about missing stuff. But I'm very excited about this Cruiserweight Classic. Uh, features cruiserweights from all over the world competing in a WWE ring. And if, if you've got the WWE Network, obviously you're going to watch it. If you don't, then you probably don't care anyway. So I'm wasting my breath. Finding Dory. I took my son to see Finding Dory on Tuesday. It's a little long, but it's a lot of fun. We really enjoyed watching it. As a matter of fact, I think I might have liked it better than I liked Finding Nemo because it was a little more complex. It was a little... The the action was a little better. The characters were a little more over the top. Uh, I don't know that it was technically as good a movie, but I think it was more entertaining. And my pick best character becky hands down so if you're a fan of pixar if you're a fan of great animation if you're a fan, oh and yeah the animation holy cow uh the advances since the since finding nemo are wild uh but yeah finding dory is great go see it or, or as soon as it comes out and you can rent it rent it one more movie that i'm going to talk about and that is the wraith if you listen to the Needless Things podcast, which are you guys getting the idea that I think you should be listening to the show regularly? I hope you are, because I think you should. The Wraith, on our 1986 episode a couple or a few weeks ago, uh, Mr. Chris DiPertrillo, who is friend of the show, uh, also works for Figures Toy Company, and is a pop culture... Uh, I admire his pop culture knowledge talked about a movie called The Wraith starring Charlie Sheen and Sherilyn Finn. I had never seen this movie somehow. And well, I, I say somehow. I know why I hadn't seen it because it's kind of about a car and it's kind of about cars. And it just when you look at the cover, it's like, oh, it's a guy with a car. Ech. Which granted, that's the Mad Max cover as well. But it's just something that never really got on my radar. I never really cared about seeing it. Well, Chris brought it up on the show and it's free on Showtime, uh, on demand right now. So go to go to your on demand if you got Comcast, uh, search Wraith, and watch this freaking movie because it is unbelievable. It's so so eighties. The soundtrack, just like Chris said, is incredible. Uh, I went and uh, I'm trying to find it now. It's not easily downloadable, but it's out there. Uh, I want this soundtrack. I want to watch this movie again, like, immediately. It is awesome. It's so 80s. Charlie Sheen is Charlie Sheen. Sherilyn Finn is gorgeous. 
Uh, the supporting cast is great. Randy Quaid plays the the sheriff or head cop or whatever he is, and does a great job. It's just a, it's an eminently watchable movie. I was very impressed, and I didn't know what it was about. Do yourself a favor. Don't Google it or anything. Don't look up what it's about. Uh, just go in and watch it, because I didn't know, really. Aside, you know, Chris had talked about it a little bit, but he didn't give anything away. Uh, so I, I went in and was delighted by what I was watching. So The Wraith, two thumbs up from me. Love it. Hardcore 80s action. Uh, not really horror, a little bit but not really uh so check it out please and finally before we get into this conversation today which is by the way me and mike gordon talking uh or the original intent for today's episode was an examination of how society looks at animation the differences in storytelling between animation and live action and the differences in legitimacy between the two, and we definitely cover that, uh, but we veer off into a number number of other topics and storytelling uh, mediums as well. It's a great, great conversation that you guys are going to love, and you know that because it's Mike Gordon, and he is the greatest. Uh, we start off by talking about Dark Knight, which is something I've, I've mentioned on my Facebook page, uh, El Phantasmus, or Needless Things Podcast. Check out uh, the Needless Things Podcast page on Facebook. And uh, But we talk about Dark Knight, which is Paul Dini's new graphic novel. Uh, Paul Dini and Eduardo Riso retell a story of an actual event from Paul Dini's life. We talk about that, and then we go into the animation talk. You guys are going to totally dig it. And finally, if you want to support this podcast, if you want to support NeedlessThingsSite.com, if you want to support basically everything that I do that is not my grueling day job, please go to SupportPhantom.com and check out my patreon i'm offering several different levels of enticements of rewards for what you do i think the big thing that i offer is an exclusive podcast that is not available from needlessthingsite.com it's patron only patron cast where about twice a month i sit down and i talk about what's going on with my creative stuff uh, i'll do exclusive movie reviews on the patron page uh, just go check it out. I've got different reward levels. You can give me a dollar. If you've got a dollar a month that you can spare, sign up for that. Uh, if you've got five you can spare, sign up for that. 30, 30 gets you a Needless Things mystery box each and every month, which is packed full of pop culture goodness. So check all that out. Support Phantom. Uh, I'm trying to make T-shirts. That's my big goal right now is to get enough money to do a run of T-shirts probably for the Dirty Dirty Con Con Game Game Show Show. So please check it out. See if you can support me. Uh, support me. Throw anything my way. If you can't, just uh, tell your rich friends about it. So go to supportphantom.com and check that out. And now it is time for me to talk to Mike Gordon about animation and for you guys to hear a little bit of music. <laughs> I'm sitting here with Mike Gordon, and as always, his brilliant mind has brought a new facet of conversation to the table. So thank you for that, Mike Gordon. Howdy. And thank <laughs> you once again for the invite. It's always a pleasure to be on this podcast. Well, I like what I like to do when <laughs> I I have I'll have an idea and I'll think, oh, that'll be a good Mike Gordon episode. 
<laughs> and then I will, you know, send you a message or whatever, hoping that you agree. And thus far, uh, I'm doing pretty well. So, well, you know, as well as you treat me, how could I not enjoy being on this podcast? Uh, only the best for you, sir. But so my concept for this episode was animation. And I'm going to close whatever just made a dinging noise because I don't need that crap going on. I, if I were Stone Cold Steve Austin, I would owe everybody a beer. <laughs> um, so the concept for this episode is we are going to discuss... But you're not, so you owe everybody a toy. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh. Um, I, I'll tell you what. I owe everybody who is contributing to my Patreon... That is patreon.com slash phantom troublemaker or support phantom.com. Uh, I owe all of them a toy. There you go. Uh, but anyway, my idea was to discuss animation and how we respond to and feel about animation versus live action. And it's kind of a general way, but I think as the conversation goes on, we'll kind of narrow down what we're talking about. Uh, but I, I just thought it would be a really interesting thing to look at because I think, I think I, or certainly I, and I think you probably view animation a little differently than some people, uh, as far as the amount of gravitas and credibility that we attribute to it. And, and that's what we want to talk about is, is our feelings and the general public's feelings. But you just said, uh, prior to the actual beginning of our recording, Hey, have you talked about Dark Knight yet? And for the listeners, Dark Knight, a true Batman tale, is a graphic novel that was just released by DC Comics, and it's by Paul Dini with art. Oh my gosh, I didn't know we were going to talk about this, and I can't remember it's, who did uh, the art. Eduardo Rizzo. Thank you. Uh, known for 100 Bullets, and and probably many other things, but that's what I know him from. Yeah, that's probably his most famous work. I mean, he's done other things, you're right, but... Uh, and you said, well, have you talked about that yet? And I said, I haven't. And I, I was going to write a review because I did find it to be very powerful. But I thought writing a review would of, of something that is a true life personal experience would be kind of shitty. So instead, Mike and I are going to talk about it. So you said you read it this weekend. I read it this weekend. And, I, and one of the reasons why I thought it would be appropriate to talk to you, not only are we talking about animation and, of course, you know, Paul Dini is, is in that realm – but also the fact that uh, I was I wasn't on the fence about buying this because it you know Batman Paul Dini right and throw in Rizzo and I'm going to be there. But um, you know things being what they are, I was like, ooh, it's twenty some dollars. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna you know maybe I should wait to the soft cover. I mean I don't even know anything about this, et cetera, et cetera. But it you actually posted. Um, and it wasn't a review. It was basically, you know, I mean, sometimes I think it's more important to promote than review. You uh, well, know? and that's what I wanted that because I, I put the, as soon as I read it, I put the post up just saying this is powerful. You need to read it. And and I saw that and I was like, OK, that's good enough for me. So next time I was in the comic shop, boom, picked that up, read it over the, the weekend. And uh, it is uh, amazing. Um, I have uh, so much respect for Paul Dini before this, yes. uh, before I even picked up this book, I mean, his his ability as a storyteller, whether it's an animation, comic form, what have you, is right up there at the top for me. Um, he has written some of the best, not only the best Batman stories I've ever read, 
uh, or watched, but some of the, just the best stories, even if you take Batman out of it. And, um, uh, and so, but this piece of work that he's done, um, is more personal and, uh, uh more, I don't want to say more effective, but it's, it's 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 just as powerful, if not more powerful. I think this is the most personal story he's ever told. Well, before we get too far into it, uh, when it was solicited, every for those that that may not know, because I know there's some people that listen to the podcast that don't necessarily visit needlessthingsite.com, and, and perhaps vice versa. Uh, every month, I do a rundown of the previews catalog, which is the comic the the catalog that goes out to independent comic book shops that they order their comic books, their toys, their collectibles, even their supplies from. And every month, previews is the catalog that you as a customer can go pick up and determine what you want to order. And every month on needlessthingsite.com, I, I do a write-up where I feature the things that kind of stand out to me, the things that interest me. And when this was initially offered... I, I made it, you know, my, th- this is by this. If you don't listen to anything else on this list, this is the <laughs> one. And, but I didn't know what to expect from it. I honestly thought that maybe it would be a Batman story where Paul Dini had sort of written himself in as a character a bit. Uh, I, I was expecting something more conventional than what it is. What, what were your expectations? Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I thought, you know, I saw it. It was a graphic novel, an original graphic novel. And I'm like, well, Paul Dini's got the the clout to be able to just pull that off and just say, I want to do a graphic novel right, as right. opposed to, you know, multi-issues or what have you. Um, and, and you know, obviously it's got Batman on the cover and the Joker. So you're kind of thinking, okay, um, this is going to be – and even by the cover standard, you're not really sure. You just see this beat-up looking guy with Batman and the Joker there. And, uh, you know, the vertical label, which means this is not for Batman the Animated Series kids. Right. Uh, this is something serious he's going to talk about. So, um, but I, again, I didn't know. I thought it was just going to be, oh, maybe more, uh, more like, you know, like this Batman, like really like on crime. Um, uh, so I, you know, some sort of, uh, yeah, some sort of social dissertation, if you will, but in story form on like, the real crime that's out there and, and, and whether Batman or not would be able to face that or anything. So I thought it was going to be something maybe like higher like that, but well, I did not something more per, not in something as personal as this. I did know, uh, about Paul, cause the story behind it is, uh, years ago, it was the same year that they were producing, uh, Batman mask of the phantasm, which was, the Batman the Animated Series story that was released as a theatrical movie. Yeah. And Paul Dini was mugged and beaten severely. He's lucky he's alive. And just hearing it does not convey the horror of it, but this book does. And I knew that that had happened, and I knew that this book related that, but I didn't know in what way... And like I said, I thought maybe it would be a Batman story with a character living Dini's experience. But what it is, is literally a biographical, uh, very deep, very dark examination, not just of the crime that occurred and what Paul Dini went through, but just of, of him as a person 
And there's a lot of stuff in there that hit really close to home for me. And me too. Uh, you know, I, I think really any anybody that could identify as, as a geek or a nerd or, or whatever, it, it, there's going to be a lot of moments in here where your your breath kind of catches in your chest and and you 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 feel things more than you maybe want to. It, it's it's one of I'd have to sit down and really think, but it's certainly one of the most powerful comics I've ever read. And and I agree with that. It is a, a very powerful story. It's a very powerful account. Um, uh, as you said, very personal. Um, all this, you know, the last few years, there's been a lot of lip service given to um, uh, bullying, online bullying, real life bullying, bullying in the schoolyard, et cetera, et cetera. You know, hey, kids, don't be a bully, et cetera, et cetera. And there's been this and that or the other thing. I thought, and it doesn't even say... There's no, there's nothing in this book on the advertising or anything promotional that says this is an anti-bullying uh, yeah, account. Th- this is not that because if, but you're, yet, if you're if you're like me and you're very cynical about this whole anti-bullying thing, right? Uh, don't don't think that this is the Avengers versus bullies or whatever it is that Marvel right. put out to make money. Right. Uh, this is not that. But no. it, it conveys the message more effectively than any of that tripe. Absolutely. That's what I, that was my point. It's just that this doesn't even have to say it, but by reading it, you, you understand uh, anybody, I think, who's been bullied at any point uh, can understand what Paul's gone through, what he continues to go through. Um, and and it, it really... Like I said, it it struck me, uh, struck a lot of chords in me. Well, and this is honestly, this is above and beyond bullying because, the, you know, it it was a random act of of not just violence, of horror. And I mean, it didn't have anything to do with the fact that Paul Dini was a nerd. It had to do with the fact that he was in the wrong place. Uh, and, and any bullying aspect that comes out of it is is Dini's very clear expression of the feelings of self-loathing that I think we can all have. Uh, it, it's very dark in that way to, to uh, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but there's just a lot to identify. If, if you're a, a genre fan or, or, or a niche person of any kind, there, there's a lot here that you're going to grab onto and, and, and probably not entirely enjoy. <laughs> True. Um, although one thing I, I definitely uh, think everybody will enjoy is um, how beautifully illustrated it is by uh, Rizzo. Um, yes, thank you. I, I've I've thought that you know for years since I've been a, a, a Hunter Bullets fan, and I, I know he's capable of of really scaring you and reaching down and and uh, you know to to places and showing violence in a way that uh, that you almost feel guilty. Uh, wa- uh, watching mm-hmm. uh, or or looking at, but um, here there's a delicacy to his craft that I I very rarely have seen, um, and uh, it, it's just a gorgeous book. Um, and, and like you said, gorgeously dark at times, but he still conveys that message. And yeah, um, you know I don't you know want to belabor it too much, but um, anybody out there who is a fan of of Paul Dini's work or Batman or just good interesting storytelling uh i think needs to read this i mean this is something that i don't you know 
It's one of every once in a while, you know, the big two squeeze out something that's unexpected and feels like it's more personal and feels like an independent book. This has that feel to it. Well, and this has that feel of like, you know, I don't know if the Oscars and the, you know, Eisners can be considered. I mean, uh, the Harveys and the Eisners can be considered like the Oscars and the Emmys of, of comics, but this is that caliber. Yes. Well, the, there are a few, you know, I love comics and I love comics of varying quality. You know, I like everything from schlocky superhero stuff to, to pulp to really dark mess with your mind vertigo stuff. Uh, but every once in a while, something special comes out that actually affects you in more than just an entertaining way. Uh, one, and, and the ones I'm going to name are Batman books, but that's because, one, I think Batman lends himself to stories that are particularly effective, and two, I just love Batman, but off the top of my head, Killing Joke and Arkham Asylum are two graphic novels that affected me. Were more than just Batman stories were more than just entertaining reads that have changed me in a way almost. And even though this is not narratively a Batman story in the way that those are, this uh, Dark Knight had the same effect on me. That it's something that I immediately wanted to read again, something that I felt was special and a standout amongst the hundreds of things that I read every single year. Uh, this is one that comes along you know, once every five years, once in a decade, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So the point is, listeners, you should go buy this immediately. If your comic shop is out of it, ask them to order it. Uh, they should be able to. I would imagine this will be a very big item. I think it's going to do very well if the word of mouth gets around well enough. Uh, but one exciting thing about it, you know, and it is, it's heavy, but it's it's valuable. But something that, that excited me about it is Paul Dini, as part of the relation of this story, mentions a Batman the Animated Series script that he submitted uh, that would include uh, Orpheus and Death from Sandman. Yes. And he got Neil Gaiman's permission to use them uh, and, and I can't remember off the top of my head right now if if he had the go ahead from Gaiman to use them in the episode or if he, if it was just for this for Dark Knight. But you know, in this day and age, once a concept has kind of been birthed into the world, the chances of it actually happening increase. And whether we could possibly get this story in comic book form or whether DC might choose to go ahead and release an animated version of this Batman animated series story featuring uh, Death and Dream, uh, you know, uh, that excites me. Just the possibility of that happening excites me. Did that occur to you, Mike, while you were reading it? Like, oh, shit, this could happen. It, it did. Um, I, I'm curious to see where this goes. Um, uh, obviously, he tells the story here. Uh, and so you get a story within a story kind of within this book as well. Um, 
and so I don't know what more you know would be done if they wanted to make it into a like a, another graphic novel or a comic or something like that. However, well, I, I think if they said, "Hey, Dini, we've gotten a big positive feedback about that whole thing. Uh, what what do you want to do?" Then he and Neil Gaiman would probably sit down and do it. You know, like they could flesh it out. They could they could sort of. Uh, build a bigger concept to go with it. Like, I, I think this is just the, hey, here's an idea we had. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Um, I, look, I'm all for it. I mean, you're talking about, um, you know, two of my favorite storytellers in all of the any medium. So right, right. If they combine their efforts on a project, I, I would, I, I, you know, they write the phone book. I'm there. And then there's also, and this will segue right into our conversation about animation, uh, depending on the reception of this, uh, DC has been fairly daring with some of the animated projects that they've done, particularly with the forthcoming Killing Joke. Uh, I could see this receiving an animated treatment. I mean, that is Paul Dini's, it, it's his calling card. It's what he's known for. Now, whether or not he wants to continue to dwell on this, I don't know. Uh, maybe now that this is published, it's out of his system and he has no interest in revisiting it. But I could see this as an animated feature as well, and it would be a, a very interesting one. Yeah, and and with you know the DC animation department doing more and more adult stories, I mean, obviously anything with Batman and it's got Paul Dini's name on it is going to attract attention. Right. So um, if, you know... If the response for this, like I said, did get like you know a lot of awards and a lot of acclaim, et cetera, et cetera, you know maybe they would look at it as as a as a future animated project as well. And, and yes, to your point, um, it would be uh, it would have to be you know obviously R rated. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and there, I mean, now we know they'll do it. So let's move on to our and uh, for me. Obviously, two thumbs up or as many thumbs as, as I might ever <laughs> possess in my life. Uh, Mike, I think you feel the same way. Absolutely. It's definitely the, one of the best reads I've had all year and even beyond that. So go out, uh, like I said, to your local comic book shop, pick up Dark Knight, a true Batman story, or order it if they do not have it in stock. You, you, will, you will thank me. I promise. You'll tweet, you'll tweet me a thank you. <laughs> so to move on to the main conversation that we wanted to have, uh, to talk about animation. And what what kind of spurred this off, in the years that Warner Brothers has been discussing this Justice League movie, this live-action Justice League movie, and we're talking years and years because, you know, George Miller had won you know, they, they had it cast, their pictures, and it didn't happen. But my thinking has always been, well, always, has since the property I'm getting ready to mention has existed, has been, well, we've got Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Nothing is ever going to be better than that. So it's neato if they want to do live action stuff. But you're not going to top that. Because to me, animation is absolutely as viable, as entertaining, and important as live action. Uh, but I do, the thoughts are kind of jumbling in my head, so I wanted to have a conversation about this to determine 
the merits of live action, the merits of animation, why one is seen by the general public as more valuable than the other, uh, and, and just have a conversation about it. And, and Mike, you were the guy to do this with. What, when I say, well, we've got Justice League Unlimited, who really cares? How do you feel about that statement? Well, I mean, that would be like saying, well, we've got Batman the Animated Series. Who cares whatever they do with Batman from here on out? Well, and, and I'm, and, and I'm and, not saying that it doesn't matter, but I'm saying I'm, I'm happy with that. Like, it, it, anything further is gravy. But I don't need it. I'm not hanging my hat on live action like, oh, this is, this is what I always wanted. It's like, okay, this is, this is cool. You know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, it's not like I have to have a great live action version. I, you know, it's one of those things that I, I don't know that I necessarily understood the power of live action uh, as much as I love animation. Um, there's still a power about live action that uh, I didn't account for when I saw uh, when I saw the, the first Spider-Man film by Sam Raimi mm -hmm. that I was just in tears um, when I saw um the, the 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 Superman movie early on in my life with Christopher Reeve, um, when I saw and just recently uh, a few months ago, say what you will about Batman v Superman, when I saw uh, Wonder Woman on screen as well as the three of them together, uh, I, I really got emotional. Um, that was some, and I've seen them in cartoon form. Many times. I grew up with them in cartoon form. Right, right. You know? So, uh, you know, here were the super friends. <laughs> here were the super friends on screen. Like, it's, there's just something more, like, real, more tangible about it. Um, and I am not diminishing animation, and as we'll go on. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, we'll, well talk no, further no. about and, that. But, but, the, but that's it. I want to kind of parse it down and figure out what the, what the, the best qualities are of each medium. That's what I mean, it, for. it can even be said in some cases that that alone makes me enjoy, like made me enjoy Batman v Superman and, and forgive it a lot of its uh, faults because it gave me that feeling. And so that was worth the price of admission, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, now, that's not to say that all you have to do is, you know, put something in live action and I'm going to be like, hey, that's awesome. Because well, if that were the case, Axel Braun would be the king. <laughs> you know, I would have been like, hey, you know, the, I got all tingly when I saw the spirit, you know. Um, <laughs> or, or, or Phantom. Slam Evil. <laughs> Slam Evil. I've never seen that movie, actually. But I, not, I get your point. It's actually, it gets a lot of shit. It's a fun movie. Um, but yeah, so I, it doesn't happen all the time. I mean, it's, that's not the only thing that needs to happen is you put someone on screen with an, and an outfit and do a familiar pose. There's gotta be more of a spirit to it than that. And, um, uh, so I, you know, we can, like I said, go further into detail, but there is that element. And for a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, it's like black and white versus color. It's like, you know, uh, animation versus live action. It's like they can only take things seriously with what they determine in their minds or what they've been told right, right. Uh, by society is serious entertainment as opposed to, oh, that's just for kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think that's where I'm coming from is I never uh, – I like many of us, I never left cartoons behind. I never at any point – 
and, and this is a big generational thing, but I never at any point thought, well, I can't watch cartoons anymore. That never happened for me, so I've always taken them seriously, I guess. Now, I'm not saying that I look at cartoons and I look at live action and I'm just like, well, what is the point of even doing it in live action? But I know that live action, at this point in our lives, at this point in the technology that's available, will never be able to deliver the epic stories that animation can. It's getting closer. It's getting closer, for sure. But to go back to Batman versus Superman, and anybody that's listened to to the podcast knows how I feel about that movie. Uh, I enjoyed it. I'm going to buy it when it comes out on Blu-ray, and I'm going to watch it again. But, you know, Doomsday looked horrible. Some, not, and I don't mean design-wise. I mean CGI-wise. Uh, the effects... It just, it, 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 they weren't there to tell the story that they wanted to tell. And if everything had been animated, uh, as in Superman Doomsday or, or any of the many DC animated releases, you're, you're already, your frame of mind is already one of acceptance. In animation, there's nothing that's going to jar you out of the story because with animation, they can do anything they want. And you sit there, you kick back, and you're looking at the medium that's in front of you and whether they want to give you a gigantic monster that's going to eat a planet, whether somebody's going to punch a hole straight through another human being, whether you have 8,000 demons attacking Hellboy. It's all within the medium. It, it's all There's nothing to jar you like bad CG does or well, like there's shitty such a thing. Do. There's such a thing as bad animation. Well, oh yeah, for, for sure, for sure. But the thing is, bad animation tends to be consistent. So if you sit down and start watching something and it's badly animated, it's all badly animated. Like it, it's, it's easier for me to immerse myself, I think. Uh, I, I very rarely while watching an animated series or feature or whatever the case may be, is, does something happen and I go, well, that looks fake as shit. Because <laughs> it's all it's all fake as shit. Well, yes, I see your point. But so, yet, there's other times where you know animation doesn't can't give you or certain you know. I mean, I'm not saying it can't because I do think it's possible now. And we're seeing with CG, we're seeing those two things: animation and live action might become like meld closer and closer together. Yes. So in a way, like, I don't even know if like, you know, 10 years from now, this will be like, it's just, <laughs> it's just a movie. There's no such thing as animation or live action anymore. It's all like the same thing. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of difficulty with animation being able to convey, you know, uh, the actors, actors and more, most imp live action actor, actors, most important feature is their eyes. Sure. It's difficult. To get that range in animation. Well, and that's really difficult. That is a key factor of animation. And one of the challenges that DC stuff has faced, uh, when you have talented voice actors like Mark Hamill, like Kevin Conroy, um, like uh, I named tons of names that I was not prepared to drop because I didn't even think about the voice acting element of it. Uh, when you have talented voice actors that work in animation and it's their bread and butter, they can do everything with their voice that live action actors can do with their eyes. But the problem that we're running into now 
is that for these some of these projects to get funded, whether they be DC's releases, whether they be theatrical releases, is there they are casting these live action actors as voice actors in animation and they are not up to the job. Because I have heard lousy voice acting from fantastic actors. Uh, but the project needs a name attached to get the money to get made. So they're casting, you know, these Hollywood actors. And that is definitely a challenge. And you're right. That is that emoting that is easier to pick up on when you're watching live action because they do have, you know, they, they're working with their eyes, their faces, their, their, even their body language, you know, with animation, it's not as natural. You know, the best animation, you get a very uh, fluid human feel from, but not everything we watch is the best animation. Uh, so that's, you know, you're, you're right. That is definitely a place where live action has a leg up is in, is in connecting with the audience. Yeah. You can, you can make a live action movie, uh, on the cheap, you know, with actors, with quality actors and, and still get a really powerful message across. Yes. Uh, really tell a very powerful story. Um, you try to tell that same story or a different story with animation, on a cheap budget, and you're in for a lot of challenges. Well, and a, a cheap animation budget, though, is a lot different from a cheap <laughs> live-action budget. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. Which so is, it, which it, is another know. factor. I mean, that's... Absolutely. When when you're looking at the type of story you want to tell, uh, if you're doing any kind of multiverse story, then animation at this point almost seems like the only way to do it. Uh, unless you're doing something like the flash has been doing where it's literally, and I still, I still don't understand how they made earth Two look so good on the flash. <laughs> how did that happen? Mike Gordon? It's uh, you know, this day and age of special effects, man, they, 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 they really know what they're doing on that show. I mean, I honestly thought that they would maybe film in a different city with a, a filter on the lens. <laughs> and that would be it. But, I mean, they really, in my opinion, created a convincing, completely different alternate reality. Uh, and it was very impressive. And, and this is, uh, you know, I, I as I'm sitting here saying this, I think, well, we're not supposed to be talking about The Flash, but we are talking about The Flash because it's exactly the kind of thing we're talking about. Because if you had told me, uh, that the Flashpoint animated movie, which I quite enjoyed. Uh, I enjoyed the comic, uh, and I thought that the animated version was a, a very solid adaptation that actually streamlined some of the issues that the comic had. Uh, if you had told me that they would be attempting Flashpoint in live-action television, I would have laughed and said, you're a dum-dum. But that is apparently exactly what they're going to be doing next season on Flash. And obviously they're going to have to make some changes. They're going to have to figure out some, some ways around it. But after their handling of Earth 2, I have faith in the production team to figure out a way to do this right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, uh, and that's a case where, you know, obviously uh, the CG is working. Um, the fact that they're able to bring Grodd to life, it, it astounds me. <laughs> for, for seconds at a time. 
Well, still, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, you, you know, fantastic. I mean, that's that's effective storytelling. You know, yes, they, it it's it, it. You know, they it's it's like the the same thing they did with uh, Killer Shark too. It's just sort yes. of like literally, you know, the way Spielberg approached making Jaws, which is the technology isn't working, so let me build suspense by not showing the shark. Well, some of and, the best stories we've gotten have come as a result of budgetary restraints inspiring creativity. Uh, like Deadpool. Look at Deadpool. They had very little budget and managed to, they had to parse down even the low budget story they wanted to tell had to be parsed down. And because of that, they figured ways around it. And, yeah. and I, I, I think, I think that's another thing that's a factor, and I don't want to get too deep into it because it does veer too much into live action territory, but I think when you've got more money than you know what to do with, the result is not always great. I think filmmakers are better off having restrictions and having to get creative than they are just having all the money they want. When... Well, it depends on the filmmaker, but I, I will say that, yeah, they're, you know, um, for the most part, I think that's, that's true. Um, uh, it, it, every case is different. Um, sure, sure. you know, I mean, certainly, uh, some get, um, you know, uh, handicapped by, by budgets, um, uh, and they don't know how to get out of it. And certainly that is a real issue in some cases. Uh, it, it happens to the best of them. And some of, you know, the best directors do it by choice. Uh, I can remember, um, you know, uh, I'm a big Hitchcock fan, and uh, I remember reading that, uh, you know, in order to make Psycho, uh, Hitch decided that he wasn't going to use his film crew. He wasn't going to use a film budget. He was going to do it with his TV, Alfred Hitchcock Presents right. Crew, right, and, right. And, and make it in black and white and, and show everybody that he was could be just as effective Telling a story uh, with a with a smaller budget uh, than he was he would be on a on a large budget picture, and and you know it proved to be one of his most successful movies ever. So, so budget, I think we we've addressed. Everybody kind of understands that animation is uh, you know can be expensive, but compared to live action, uh, is generally much cheaper to produce. Public perception is something I want to talk about. I think, yeah, because I think, you know, when talking about things like like Batman the Killing Joke, for example, which is a story that has been, you know, in our lifetimes, probably one of the top Batman stories that there is. And um, controversial, sure, but also, you know, one that everybody can, everybody's read, everybody's familiar with. Uh, there's The Dark Knight Returns. And then there's Batman the Killing Joke. Yes. Um, so in making these, in the deciding to make these movies, you know, should should Hollywood make them like you know live action or should they make them animated? And what's the pros and cons to both? Now, uh, perception. Obviously, uh, most of the people out there uh, probably believe. Uh, that animation that cartoons are for kids yeah. um, same way that you know as a as a comic uh, someone who's really into comics 
can attest to uh, that is an argument we are also familiar with. Um, you know, comics are for kids. Uh, anything drawn, anything animated, cartoon, you know, if you see them in the, the, the newspaper uh, and they're called the funnies, you can't take them seriously. Right. Um, uh, you know, even though serious stories, as we've mentioned earlier in the show, can be told with this medium. And, and it, it's not... You know, animation, cartoons, comics, I, I insist, are not genres. They are medium. Right, correct. And any type of story that you want to tell can be told using this medium. Um, now, are some mediums better than others? Is live action better than comics and, and cartoons in some ways? Sure. It, uh, you have to make that decision as to what works best and what you want to do and the budget you have. Let me throw this at you. Uh, as far as the public goes, if it was announced that there was going to be a live, the next live action Batman movie starring Ben Affleck was going to feature, uh, I suppose it would be Jared Leto's Joker shooting whoever's playing Barbara Gordon through the spine and crippling her. And then kidnapping, uh, oh, Schillinger, come on, help me out. What's his name? I, I'm sorry, I drew a blank. J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, we, yes. We, uh, we all know who I'm talking about. Yes. I, I apologize to the actor for not being able to remember his name because I actually love the guy. Uh, but, but once again, we've delved into areas that I did not <laughs> anticipate us going into. Uh, it's right there, too. It's, sorry. it's going to feature... Jared Leto's Joker kidnapping this man, stripping him naked, and putting having midgets in bondage gear show him pictures of his mutilated naked daughter. Live action. What would the public response be to this? Because if they're doing it live action, this is going out to the public at large. This is going out to the people who went to see Batman versus Superman, the people who went to see Captain America Civil War, people who are excited about the next Spider-Man movie. This is everyone. This yeah, but, movie is not going to happen. Right. But there's, I mean, there's a perception right now that the uh, DCU, the cinematic universe for DC, is too dark. Right. And but this it, would be... Like, they don't even know. <laughs> I mean, they just did a, you know, someone did a comprehensive uh, death toll on on Batman yeah, in right, the last right. Batman v Superman movie and found that he killed, like, over 20-some people. And, and, and that's absurd. And, and like, how does that happen? Like, right. how, who makes that decision to happen, you know? I, I'm of two minds of this, this controversy in particular, because while I... I firmly believe that you know like i said any any uh, medium can be used to tell a story and i don't mind adult mature r-rated batman stories or superhero stories um i do kind of miss you know uh, i think the you know certainly the day and age where you know and i think it's shooting themselves in the foot too it's like when movies were PG, like everybody enjoyed them. Mm -hmm. If you want people to buy merchandise, you make them so that everybody can enjoy them. 
You know, if you have an R-rated movie and you make toys from that R-rated movie, who's buying those toys? Right, right. Um, you know, um, and uh, it's just, it seems like it's short-term thinking. And yet, by the same token, I, I have enjoyed a lot of those stories. I enjoy the killing joke, and I'm going to be interested to see what it's like, um, however it's depicted. But in I this think case, it's going to be, be tough. I think it's going to be tough to watch. Oh, sure. I, I really well, do. It's tough to read. Yeah. Like, like, you know, I mean, it should be tough to watch. Yes. I don't want a PG watered down. But, no, I, of no, it. but I mean, I, 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 inv- this is my thought on it. And, and granted, the talent involved is impeccable. But I, I just, my feeling on it is I'm going to sit there wondering if I should be watching this. Well, I do sort of wonder after reading it. Now, when I picked it up and read it the first time, I didn't have to show my ID. It was not an right, R-rated right. book. Yeah. Um, so I do kind of question why it's necessary to make it. Everybody's like, oh, it has to be R-rated. Oh, really? Have you read the book? Right. Because the book is something that any kid can go into a, a store and buy. Right. Now, it's up to that you know shop owner whether or not, not they're saying that's one. okay that any right. kid can go buy it. But there's no, I mean, there's nothing on there to restrict a kid from well, from reading this book. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there, I mean, I, I mean, was, I was honestly there. There should be though. But I mean, and I've read worse. I mean, you know, oh, certainly, sure. you know, when the Joker killed Robin, uh, the Tim Drake Robin, I was, I mean, that was horrifying. Well, it's horrifying, but it's not S and M. Little people showing naked Commissioner Gordon pictures of his daughter's nipples with a hole in her spine. Horrifying. No. no. Like, I, I, I struggle <laughs> to think of something that was as shocking. Like, I, I think that book popped my comic book cherry. <laughs> like, oh no, like that was, I, I, I liken that to when I found out about anal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh no! I definitely this don't see that too. anywhere in the show notes. Uh, we were going to cover <laughs> discovering anal. <laughs> uh, Did not know that that was going to happen. And, and at that point, I think it's time for a segue because I don't want to sit here and just focus on DC, right? Uh, and and the tonal challenges that, quite frankly, DC has with their animation, their live action. Um, so let, let's let's kind of put a cap on DC. I, I do want to get a final thought, though. For me, I I'm not saying I don't want to see successful live action DC movies. I do, obviously, I do. I, I think it's great that that's happening. I wish they were different from what they are, but it is exciting. I'm not I'm not saying it isn't, but there's almost a a meh factor for me because it's never going to get better than the Justice League cartoon. Like, as far as storytelling quality, it just isn't for me. Well, let me ask you this, too. Sure. And because I can, and and just recently, I I reread it. Um, Because you, you know, posted the... The Batman 66 uh, porn (laughs) pit, right? Yes. And, Yes. And I have to mention this because... Being fans of the animated series as we are, is it a good thing that Kevin and Mark are doing the voices in Batman the Killing Joke? I don't think it is. Because, I mean, that's that's putting, that's sort of like saying, right. hey, Adam and, and Bert, 
why don't you do a porn scene? Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, oh, I agree. I, no, I, and I'm glad you brought that up and I, and I hadn't even considered discussing it. Uh, but yes, you're right. That has troubled me from the beginning. I, I do not care for that. Um, it also does raise a question too of, you know, is it necessary to retell stories, whether it's animation or live action in a movie form that have been written or already done? So, you know, it's one of those like, why do an adaptation? Is it going to be watered down? Is it, are adaptations always bad? Are they, are, are, is there a good reason to do an adaptation? And that's a, that's another podcast. But, yeah, you're right. And that's, that's actually a very good point because with Killing Joke, I feel it's it's fairly apparent the reason to do this ad- adaptation. Is, well, the reason for anything is money, but this <laughs> this more than anything else that DC has animated is money because it's going to get lots of attention. Uh, it is widely known that Mark Hamill said the only way he would come back to play Joker again is to do Killing Joke, which, granted, has turned out to not be true. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. I'll get it. I'll watch it, but it's it's somewhat questionable. The whole thing, as uh, you said, taking DC out of the equation and taking uh, you know this adaptation out of the equation, because obviously there's a lot more issues than just whether or not it's animated versus live action, which was what we're discussing. Um, and in looking at like your personal favorites because i know you've covered you know uh, in the past on your episodes you've covered oh my favorite things in the 80s and this year and that year right, and all right. that kind of stuff and and obviously you know you're keen because i know you you're keen on making lists and, and deciding like oh this is good and that's good um as far when you think of like your favorite movies your favorite tv shows Mm-hmm. How often do animated ones I mean do you have to create separate lists for them or do they mix together like you know what I have no problem in listing like here's my top 10 movies of all time and guess what five of them are animated If I was doing it for me personally I would intersperse them If I was doing it for readers or listeners I would separate them Gotcha uh because <laughs> you're just perpetuating the stereotype <laughs> <laughs> you're and you're right. You're right. I am. Uh, yeah, I absolutely am. Uh, and, and I want to think back. I feel like I have interspersed them for specific things. Uh, but I do, you know, when I when I think to myself of great television shows. Now, I will say this: in general, animated shows are not as good as live action shows because I feel the public perception or even the creative perception like, well, we, we don't need to be as good. This is a different thing. And this is for a different crowd. Uh, you know, in general, the effort isn't there, but you and I have talked before. Who's your Batman? Well, Kevin Conroy is Batman animated series, Batman. He's the best. Yes. And, yes. and that's put up against, Adam West and George, well, I'm going to go ahead and say George Clooney, uh, Michael Keaton, Ben Affleck, you know, any of them, uh, you know, he's our Batman. So, yeah, I I do generally, uh, in personal conversations, uh, I'll I'll go either way. But when when I'm making lists, and actually when I do make those lists, I tend to say best animated, best live action. Like I'll, you know, there's generally a specific purpose to that. 
if I was going to do best TV shows of the 80s, and, and this would be through my eyes as a kid, not, you know, as if I were watching them now, then it would have A-Team and G.I. Joe and Thundercats and Dukes of Hazard. Like, it would just, that would be the list. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and you're a little different age group than I am, so I am curious, because you mentioned uh, when you were reading Killing Joke uh, that it was sort of shocking to you as a comic reader. Yes. Um, what I'm curious, as a as a animation viewer, mm-hmm. what was the first movie that you sat down, or first thing Heavy metal. animated that you sat down and went, oh my goodness, this is not Heavy like metal. anything I've seen before. Heavy metal? Absolutely. Uh, I, I saw I, it, and I remember the night that I watched it, too. Uh, it was on Showtime. Did you know? No. Going in? No. <laughs> no. Wow. I was so like, that must have been a big surprise. I, I, I mean, it upset me. I'm not going to lie to you. It upset me. Uh, in the same way, and, and there have been, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, this, this is a little something for you, Mike Gordon, and for the listeners. Uh, here's a brief list of things that have stained my soul. <laughs> Uh, throughout my life, when when I was um, poor, unsuspecting, innocent me, got dirtied forever. Uh, in 1987, my dad, my poor dad, who 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 tried very hard sometimes, uh, took me to see Run DMC and the Beastie Boys, and the Beastie Boys opened, and this was at the Houston Astrodome. The Beastie Boys opened, and every other word out of their mouth was "fuck." Uh, King Ed Rock ran up to the monitor and flicked it off no less than 800 times. And at this point, all I had heard was License to Ill. And any dirty content on License to Ill went over my head. I was 11 and not as savvy as 11-year-olds of 2016 because there was no internet. So all of the filth that's on License to Ill, I didn't understand. So to sit there and see these guys that I loved, that ha- I had pictures of on my wall, uh, doing these things that I was embarrassed to be sitting next to my dad seeing was mortifying. That was a big game changer for me. Uh, Heavy Metal was a big game changer. It came on Showtime. Uh, I believe I had heard... All I knew of it was that it was this amazing animated feature, which, by the way... Way overrated. That's a whole other episode. Uh, and I'm not saying it's bad, but a lot of people like it for how dirty it is, and I think that's why they like it so much. Uh, but I was not ready for what was in heavy metal at all. I don't remember how old I was when I saw it, but it, I was upset. I was like, oh, what? What this is happening, and then when she gets naked and swims across the water, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I upset may not be the right word for that. Right. Um, uh, too early boner, maybe is the right word for that. Uh, and then I mentioned before Killing Joke and Arkham Asylum, both of those, and I don't remember how old I was when I read them. Uh, I have a feeling. Both of them, I might have been embarrassingly too old to have felt as upset as I did by them by today's standards. But again, you know, we we didn't have what kids today have. And, you know, seeing Barbara, Go- Batgirl, I loved Batgirl. 
I loved Batgirl on the Batman 66 show. I loved Batgirl in, you know, the comics, having fun with Dick Grayson. And to see this character with a hole in her, uh, and, and see, you know, I didn't want to see Batgirl's nipples at that, you know, whenever I read this thing, I don't remember how, I don't remember how old I was for any of these. I, I could probably track it, but off the top of my head, I don't know. But it was, it was terribly upsetting. And then Arkham Asylum, uh, but you know, by Dave McKean and, uh, oh shit, was that, that's Alan Moore, right? Or is it Grant Morrison? Uh, it was Grant Morrison, Grant Morrison. and, um, uh, McKean, Dave Mc- yeah. Yeah, Dave McKean. Uh, you know, Arkham Asylum is, is about as dark as it gets for Batman. Uh, that, uh, although I was a little older then, and while some of the stuff in it surprised me, I think I was old enough to think it was cool. Like, oh, yeah, this is cool stuff. Oh, Two-Face just shit himself. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You know, you know what I mean? Like, sure, sure. It, it was a different thing, but, uh, yeah, th- those are some of the events that that were game changers and and the, the you know robbed me of some innocence, I guess. See, I never looked at it that way, and maybe it's because I guess maybe it was because the 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 transition wasn't as jarring for me uh, because I went from watching you know I grew up with watching as I said before the Super Friends. Uh, the in so, syndication. So, Super Friends to Killing Joke was no big deal for you. No, no. This is, <laughs> I know, so, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. That would have been, you know, <laughs> that would have been a, a, a jarring thing. And I think um, that was essentially my experience. But I mean, going from, well, okay, so yeah, so I'm watching cartoons, and the cartoons on TV that I'm watching are all Super Friends, and uh, it was in syndication, the, the Spider-Man, you know, 60s ba- Spider-Man yeah, yeah, show. Yeah. Um, and that was all fine and dandy. Um, uh, I was watching, I was a big fan of Looney Tunes, uh, you know, the Disney movies. We saw those all the time. I saw the Peanuts movies. Um, I, I loved all that. I, I grew up with animation, big, big. I was used to anim- Animation was not like a special thing. It was just a thing. You know, sure. Like it was just part of storytelling. I would watch live action shows. I watched cartoons and it was interchangeable. I was just as I didn't prefer one or the other. It was just depending on the the, the characters and the subject matter and stuff. But um, and so um, going from reading or watching the Super Friends to reading the Neil Adams Batman and Jim Aparo Batman was a little different because sure, sure. obviously that's. You know, darker. The the tales are scarier, more you know, violent. Um, in some cases, more sexual. A lot of cases, more sexual. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was just part of it. And then uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, on TV and whatnot, I'm also discovering uh, animation wise. I'm discovering uh, the work of Ralph, Ralph Bakshi. Yeah. So I'm I'm discovering. Uh, oh shit! Let me just tell you what Street Fight did to me. Oh. <laughs> um, I I I don't think I've seen Street Fight. It, it it whenever you're in the mood for a reckoning with with what animation can do with how horrible society is, uh, and when you just want to feel kind of garbagey. Watch Street Fight. 
And it's amazing. It's incredible. It's an incredible, important work of animation uh, that I think any animation fan over the age of 32 needs to see. But uh, it's tough, man. That's not Bakshi, though, is it? Uh, I think it... Oh, no, 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 you're right. It's not Bakshi. It's, uh, we, we had this same discussion on the last episode, and somebody <laughs> called me out for getting messed up with Bakshi, and, uh... Oh. No, yeah, yeah it's a Bakshi, right? All right, this time, listeners, <laughs> I just want to let you know that I am looking this up for your sakes, because our good friend Derek Tatum who runs the uh, Dragon Con Horror Track, listened to our last episode and was like, dude, you were way off <laughs> on all of the animation you discussed. And it's because I wasn't prepared. Again, Like, you never know where the conversation is going to go. And you don't always know what's going to be covered. And you kind of have to, on the fly, talk about things. Uh, and, and we talked about Secret of Nim. Uh, which is Don Bluth, and and we attributed it to Al, uh, Ralph Bakshi. And we got, ah, right. We got a couple. Well, and that you know what that is, that's understandable. Except Don Bluth really hasn't done a lot of like like adult stuff, right? Like right. Don Bluth is. I mean, he was working with Disney, and he's work. He does alternative stuff to Disney. Really, Man, I can't even find Street Fight on Google. What is happening? I I don't know. Um, but um, so. While you're trying to figure that out, yeah, I will, yeah. Uh, uh, look, Please I, continue. You know, I, uh, <laughs> there were movies like Fritz the Cat, which was basically cartoon porn, uh, Heavy Traffic, Wizards. Oh man, I love that. Which but is Bakshi? Um, and Bakshi, right? And and he was also doing uh, the Lord of the Rings, and I believe he did the the Hobbit. He was involved with the animation Hobbit. Yes, which was which was different as well. I mean, these were different stuff. So for me, especially at that time. You know, 1981, 1982, there's not a huge jump between, say, Lord of the Rings and Wizards. Uh, it's just a little bit more violent, a little bit more sexual. Uh, and then we go into heavy metal, which is is certainly okay, more. OK, I've got I've got to stop you because I found it. Uh, OK, I, I apologize to you and the listeners, but it's OK. Uh, the reason I cannot find Street Fight is because it, originally it was called Coonskin. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I can understand why they changed the name of it. Yes, exactly. And right. I had a bootleg copy of it uh, gotcha. that was under the name Street Fight. So, okay. yes, it is Ralph I know Baxi. exactly. Okay, I knew it. Yeah. I and it's it. some heavy, heavy shit. It's amazing. Right. Uh, it's, it's, but it's crude. It's, it's, it's something else. So for the yeah, listeners. And he was, I, you know, and he was not afraid to do that, to go like, hey, good looking. It was another one. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and there was just this, and, and I had access to this and I was watching all this because it was, it, to me, it was amazing, uh, that somebody was telling stories like this, um, in animated form, um, because it just what no one else was doing it, you know? And, um, and I love, I mean, it came all to a big, big culmination with me in 81 with heavy metal. I mean, that, that was a powerful movie for me for all sorts of reasons. And I've discussed it on ESO. We did a whole show on it. And, and so I won't like re repeat all that, but, and, and go into a huge thing about it, but, but it, the listeners should Google ESO. Was it a heavy metal episode? Absolutely. Yes. It, it was Google, just on the Google ESO podcast, heavy metal, and go check that one out. Yes, I probably talked way too much on that one. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so, 
you know, and I and I thought, okay, this is what animation can be. It, you know, also, it, yeah, it can bring us Bambi as well, but it can also bring us, you know, um, uh, all these stories that are are sexy and funny and violent and well, fun. You again, know, again, stories that could never be told in live action. Well, at the time, they would have been very difficult. I think it would have been easier now. I don't at all. Well, in some cases, would never have gone into production now. What's that? Coonskin would never have gone into production. Well, there's some that wonder if that should have been ever in production. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, fair enough. So, um, but, you know, my point is, is that, um, you know, I got excited by that in a lot of ways. Um, But it was one of those things that I I must say, uh, that movie came out in 81. So we're talking uh, 35 years ago, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure the Sci-Fi Classics track is doing a, a heavy metal <laughs> panel. Yeah, Joe. Um, uh, but um, here's the thing: it's been 35 years, and I don't think anybody's doing what Ralph Bakshi was doing then. I agree, and and that really makes me sad. It's a shame. Um, you know, uh, heavy metal came out, and even though it wasn't a huge success right away, it certainly got. Um, a lot of play and benefited from the new VCRs. Yes, that uh, industry that just took hold there. Well, and came because, like I said, I uh, I saw it on Showtime, and Showtime even made an event of it, which speaks to the power <laughs> of that movie. And I, I don't want anybody to think I'm poo pooing heavy metal. Uh, for me personally, it's it's not the magical milestone that it is for a lot of people. For me. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I recognize what it is. And like I said, it, it opened my eyes and other parts up to all kinds of things. Uh, but, but it's not, it's not one of my favorites, but Showtime made an event of it when they deigned to show it. And this wasn't your normal, like, Hey, it's a year after the theatrical release and we have this movie we're going to show you now. Uh, you know, this was later on. This was 88, 87, somewhere around there. Cause I, I believe I was probably 11, 12 years old or so when I saw it. And Showtime was like, we finally have this classic that we're going to unleash upon you. Like it was an event, uh, that I had to set my VCR timer <laughs> to record. Um, I, uh, I, and I'm just, you know, I, I'm, I look back on it and I'm like, what happened? You know, did, yeah. did heavy metal ruin it for everybody? Uh, because well, it certainly, certainly it wasn't, ruined it. It, it certainly it, ruined it for fact 2000. It wasn't, well, that's, <laughs> you know what? That's a whole other, like, you know, uh, for the longest time, uh, in the eighties, not eighties, we'll say, let's skip ahead 20 years, right? Sure. Kevin Eastman owns Heavy Metal Magazine. Yes. And I i mean, if I could have just cornered him for like five minutes, um, I, I would have pleaded with him to to make a second Heavy Metal movie. Yes. And get Rob Zombie to direct it. Oh, yeah. And, and because it was my dream to see, you know... Uh, in animation form, uh, Julie Strain and Sherry Moon Zombie uh, together in something, um, <laughs> but but no, seriously, because I thought like, and it's it's funny because both of them 
within a few years put out an animated movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, with um, uh, Super El Bisto. Well, let's, by look, Rob real, Zombie. real quick, let's take an aside to El Super Bisto and acknowledge, you know, one, it's an adaptation of Rob Zombie's comic work. Yep. Uh, in, in his anthology comic that he put out. It's, I think it's an excellent animated feature. It's fun. I, I get it. I, I I was a little disappointed when the first time I saw it, and but it, it's 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 fun. It it doesn't. Uh, if it had come out at the same time as or before what Ralph Bakshi had done, I think it would have been a lot more interesting. But it did feel kind of like a. Uh, a knockoff of that sort of thing. Well, yeah, it felt like I wasn't going to say knockoff. I was going to be kinder. I was going to say it felt like a tribute. Like it felt like, like this is in like, uh, right, right. obviously I'm inspired by these kind of films. I'd like to make one myself. That's why I wish they would have combined their efforts. Cause I think that would have given us something truly magical. Um, because as you said, Fox two is, is really, uh, not that good either. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's a shame because I think that also killed, uh, killed it, but you know, I, I, it, obviously, obviously the American public, specifically since they're the ones who usually decide these kind of things, uh, don't care for it. They just are like, you know what? We don't want cartoons. Uh, we don't want animation that, at least on this big screen, that's that far adult. Well, and what's interesting is we're right on the cusp of what I feel is the next generation of that with, with Sausage Party. It's Which is confusing a lot of people already. Oh, as it should be. <laughs> um, and, and the thing is, I don't blame Seth Rogen and the, the filmmakers for that. I, I don't know what the answer is, because it may suck, it may be great. I'm not making that judgment yet, because I have not seen it. Uh, the trailer I've seen, it made me laugh. I do think that Seth is kind of following. I mean, there are still some folks out there that are doing that um, content like that. I mean, especially on TV, uh, whether it's um, more mainstream, like what Seth MacFarlane's doing, or whether it's what Adult Swim is doing, Adult Swim or, or FX, yeah. or FX, or even South Park. I mean, Parker and Stone have to be given a lot of credit for for kind of and and. Look, there was a lot of animation that kind of did push it, like, you know, whether it was uh, Ren and Stimpy, Beavis and Butthead, Simpsons. I mean, they were constantly, like, kind of pushing that animation wasn't just for family stuff. Oh, for sure. I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons uh, when it came on. I, I, I was not allowed to watch it. And, and my mom vociferously objected to Ren and Stimpy. Mm -hmm. I remember I was there when they were happening – uh, you know, I was 11, 12 years old or whatever. Once again, that, that age where kids now are probably already having sex, but me was still an innocent young flower. Uh, and, you know, very much part of this cultural shift, I guess, which, which again is a whole other podcast. And, and yes, Mike Gordon, I am writing these down for future episodes. Uh, <laughs> And you're right, South Park came along and pushed a lot of boundaries, and now we have, you know, the things that Adult Swim does, the thing like Archer on FX. But it seems like, it seems like if, if animation is doing satire 
or humor, straight up humor, fart jokes, or uh, even, you know, caricature. It's okay. Uh, but, you know, to tell straight up stories, certainly to delve into dr- drama or horror, it's still something that the American people, uh, audiences are, are like, you know what, We're, we, we don't want that. Well, and it's uh, one of the things about Sausage Party is visually it is it cannot be separated from all of the animated fare that's coming out aimed at children. There is nothing to distinguish. You know, you look at Archer, and it's very clear this is not a cartoon for kids. Um, everybody knows what South Park looks like now. Uh, I think a lot of the adult-oriented animation that we see. There's not really a lot to appeal to kids. Like there's, there's a line. Whereas with Sausage Party, it looks like it could be a kids' movie. To the point where uh, <laughs> the uh, movie cinema workers were showing the trailer for it in front of Finding Dory last weekend. Yeah. No. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Which and is not funny, but no, it is. It is. Uh, <laughs> You probably wouldn't have laughed if you'd been in the I would have been furious. Somebody (laughs) would have had somebody would have had a bad day. (laughs) Of that I have no doubt. (laughs) Um Um, I I, so you know, I I think that's sad too. I mean, because we went from a period of time where that stuff was becoming acceptable and I'm I'm you know, I'm hard pressed to think of, of shows that do it now or movies that do it now. I'm sure somewhere on this planet there are artists, there are animators that are trying to tell more mature stories through animated form. Sure. And, and but they're just not getting to us, you know, in a way that uh, because the, the like I said, the general public doesn't accept it. And I think, you know, when I when you came to me with this topic, that's the schism that I'm puzzled by. You know, you know, people like us who grew up with with animation as a valid form of storytelling sometime, somehow grew to a point where they said, nope, that's not for us anymore. Right, right. And I and I don't know, like that switch never clicked for me. <laughs> I right. don't know. I don't know why that that switch, you know, obviously society kind of puts that on people, you know, and I feel sorry for artists like, you know, com- going back to comics because it's a little bit easier, but I feel sorry for artists like uh, Mike Allred, who has a wonderful cartoony style, but yet if he tries to do something more mature, people rebel and they say, hey, right, your style's right. not for that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's a shame because I think he, he does want to tell those stories and he's quite good at it sometimes. And I think... Something like I Zombie is kind of proving that that uh, that it's possible and and trying to make some some waves that way. But um, but there's still a long ways to go. I mean, you know, all the groundbreaking work that Ralph Bakshi did is almost seems like it's for nothing in yeah. some cases. You know, nobody's nobody's following it up. Nobody. Yeah, like who is the Ralph Bakshi of of now? I hope my hope is that by recording this. We're going to get a lot of comments to say like this guy. No, right, 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 right. How can you not mention this guy? And and if that's true, then please comment, post, send me a DM, something because I I'm very curious to see uh, if you know if if someone is actually like picking up that baton and running with it. 
Well, I'll tell you where I think the problem happened. Uh, and I can even pinpoint a movie where it happened. We are of a generation where creators cannot differentiate between mature storytelling and violence and sex. And they think that throwing sex and violence on a screen is mature storytelling. And they don't understand that that things like, and again, I, I, apparently Justice League is my gold standard of animation. <laughs> uh, well, and Pixar. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's throw Pixar in there as well. Right. Pixar and Justice League <laughs> tell mature stories that anyone can enjoy. Uh, they do not get into adult content, but the point is the storytelling is sound. Now you can push it, you know, another creator could take it in a different direction and add the sex and violence to the mature storytelling uh, and use the medium to tell fantastical stories that maybe wouldn't be adaptable in live action. But I think what a lot of people do is think, well, I'm just going to throw a bunch of violence in and that makes it mature. And it doesn't. And, right. and where I think that happened is Cool World. Where... A bunch of people that wanted to see Bob Hoskins fuck Jessica Rabbit made a movie. And I'm not saying that Cool World changed everything, but that's the example of the disconnect that I'm talking about. Well, I think, I think to your point, what happened was Ralph Bakshi said, I can make an adult version or sexy version of Roger Rabbit. And, uh, and unfortunately the mixture wasn't there and because it failed, um, and nothing has come out to say, Hey, um, this can succeed. Then studios look at that and go, Nope, they didn't want it. 92. They're not going to want it now. Well, I think, I think, I think cool world could have been great, but there was just a little too much of thumbing its nose at Roger Rabbit. I think there was too much anger involved in it. Right, right. It, it, the, well, there was a lot of things. It I wasn't mean, made for the sake of telling a mature story. It was made for the sake of almost, not parody, because parody is too classy a word for whatever that is. <laughs> I, um, but I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I, and I don't know what the internet, to be honest, I don't know what the intent was. But whatever the intent was, the fact that it just failed um, on, a, on a lot of levels, storytelling-wise as well as box office-wise, uh, meant that this is something the studios aren't going to touch again. And, right, right. and until something comes along uh, to, to you know, show the studios that – because you're right. Animation is not a cheap investment. And when you're talking about – something on the level of, you know, um, Pixar and what they do, um, they spend, you know, four years on, on their movies, um, and, uh, and at great cost. And that's because they can afford to, and nobody is going to invest in that kind of project, um, in, in Hollywood because there, there's no proof that it would, it would work. Right. Right. Well, there's proof that it won't. 
Yeah, well, that's and, just true. Right, right. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's actually <laughs> proof to the contrary. So it's not only like, hey, we're going to not we're going to do something that's never been done before. It's like, no, no, this has been done. It just failed. Well, so so yeah, we're gonna invest uh, our money in another like in you know, uh, we're gonna make a live action version of Land Before Time. Thanks, or you know oh, they're gonna. Gosh, stop. <laughs> well, you know they <laughs> will because that's yeah. You're right. You're you know right. that made money. Well, and know? that's what I mean. Look at Disney. People love dinosaurs. Look at Disney now. Look at Disney making live action versions of everything. Well, that's which you know what? I will say, Cinderella was pretty freaking awesome. I. Look, I'm I I don't as you know I don't diss the mouse. I, I just don't. You know <laughs> whether or not. I mean, that's not to say they can do no wrong, but I mean, this is a company Disney has dirt on Mike Gordon. We know <laughs> it now. It's verified. <laughs> no, yeah, uh, I, I just have so much respect for their storytelling and their uh, their ability to to, to transfer things um you know there was a point in time where uh in the late 80s early 90s that their animation studio oh yeah yeah was not uh well regarded in fact pixar Pixar saved toy story saved them no no that's that's not exactly true it's partly true but it's not exactly true um what happened was uh they they were really struggling and it seemed like nobody wanted to see animated movies, period. Because nobody could do it better than Disney, and then Disney suddenly wasn't doing it anymore. What was their... Okay. So they. So what they did was they well, wait, came I wanna, out... Wait, I want to nail I want to nail it down first, because... Okay. Um, what did they have? They had Atlantis flopped. We're talking... We're talking prior to that, sir. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, we're talking... We're talking about a period of time where they were doing um, uh, Oliver and Company... And they were really struggling. This is in oh, 85, like 86. And they mid-80s? closed down. They like, they shut down their big, uh, because their big thing at the time was like touchstone movies. Like, because, um, Splash had made a, such a big oh, impact. Oh, you're on talking the about when, uh, what was it? Beauty and the Beast was the one that brought them back. No. Is that Little right? Mermaid was before that. So. Oh, holy Little- crap. What are you even talking about then? You're right. So Little Mermaid, this Little Mermaid, they, they, they kind of slowly, this is when Jeffrey Katzenberg joined them, and then they, they slowly came back. They made Little Mermaid Oliver, was what, 88? Right. Because they made um, Oliver and Company, which didn't do really well, and but it did okay, and then they'd made, and this is, they're getting their butts kicked by uh, Spielberg and MGM right, or, right. or Warner Brothers who are doing, all of a sudden they're back with animation, and they're doing American Tale, and they're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Land Before Time, right? So Disney's like, ah, we got to catch up, and so what they, they hit upon was, let's, you know what, let's, and I don't even know how conscious this, uh, they, they did this, but they were like, let's bring, bring Broadway type musicals to an animated form. And so then you get uh, Little Mermaid and uh, Beauty and the Beast and uh, Lion King. And all of a sudden, Disney's back. Disney's huge. Disney. I mean, these are all winners. They're basically that. Look, there's no um, question is that where they work on Broadway because they were basically Broadway plays made in animated form. So, uh, so because they had the musical numbers, they had the soundtrack, they, like everything that you would appeal to people who went to see like Broadway plays, like musicals, that's what, and nobody wanted to see live action musicals anymore. That was pretty much done. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yet they were fine going to see, like they were going in droves 
to see Beauty and the Beast, to see The Lion King, you know? Um, and then right at the same time is when Pixar said, hey, we've got this little idea for a Toy Story, and they, t- you know, they took a chance on that, that that became his big thing. And then suddenly Disney was back, and, and they haven't looked back ever since. They've been the kings. Uh, there's been some success with other animation studios, to be sure, uh, but, um, and yeah, you're well, right. Well, yeah, DreamWorks, I mean... DreamWorks is a force to be reckoned with. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and, and their their movies uh, do not have the lasting power that Pixar's do, in my opinion. Well, I mean, that's look. You're talking about the best of the best, and and you know, but I, I do wonder, you know, what it would be like if we took Pixar type technology and filmmaking and applied it to movies that were more mature. Sure. Um, you know, that would be amazing to me. I mean, you would be able to tell some pretty damn fun stories, um, uh, dramatic stories with that medium, with that tool. Um, but I, th- I think you're right in that the public would not accept it. I don't know if the public would not accept it if they'd never seen it. I think, well, okay, look at what Zemeckis did with Grendel, or not, was it called Grendel? It wasn't called Grendel, it was what called was it Beowulf. Called? Beowulf, right. Yeah. But it had Grendel in it. It didn't work. No, it did. Well, and and granted, it wasn't the same thing. Yes, but it kind of was. I mean, it's sort of what you're talking about. Plus, we're at an age where you know, back when uh, back she made Lord of the Rings, that was the only way you could make Lord of the Rings. Right, right, right. But now you could make Lord of the Rings. Even you know, now it's like, and and like you said, you know, you were saying, well, there's some things that you still can't do animation wise or live action wise. Really? Because. If you put the money oh, and can. talent into something, you can. Oh, you can just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. <laughs> well, that's another. That's oh. again, you might want to write that. That's another part. <laughs> um, and you know what? That's an interesting thing as well. Why do we have things uh, in this day and age? Why is any CG lesser than any other CG it, it, as far as big budget things go? Because Look at Giant Man in Civil War versus Doomsday in Batman versus Superman. It just comes down to budget and time. It really does. And, and, there, and there's and, no and, excuse. And the people who are creating these things. Let's, yeah. let's give them a, a pat on the back, too. I mean, it takes talent and it takes uh, vision. And, you know, just because you have the tools, the same tools, doesn't mean you're going to come out with the same right. Right. You know, awesome project. Yeah, so, if you hand me one of these fancy uh, digital sketch pads that that the best artists are using, you are not <laughs> going to get a Raphael Albuquerque level Batman. <laughs> well done. And that, you know what? Everybody that's going to make a movie ever, please take note of what I just said. <laughs> All right, we got to wrap this thing up. Um, and what I want to do is throw out there one of the things that kind of inspired me to to want to do this episode, and that is if you go back and listen to episode 110 of the podcast, my guest was John Semper Jr., who was the showrunner on Spider-Man the Animated Series, which told some very mature, complex stories, uh, but in a family-friendly format, obviously. Uh, he was also the showrunner for the Fraggle Rock cartoon. And a very interesting thing that he said was that Jim Henson, Fraggle Rock had been on for a couple of years at the point where they they went into the animated show, and he said that Jim Henson was all aboard on the cartoon. He was so excited about the cartoon, 
He could not wait to get involved with it because it had no limitations. With the Fraggle Rock Puppet Show, you had to figure out how you were physically going to tell the stories that they wanted to tell. With the cartoon, they could do whatever they wanted. The Fraggles could go to another dimension. They could go above ground. You know, in the real world, there were, there were all kinds of opportunities for storytelling that could never be done with the live action Fraggles. And while, as you pointed out, Mike, with the technology that we have now, you can tell pretty much any story you want to, but that's kind of what sparked this is that, you know, if Jen Hempson himself was excited about the storytelling potential of animation, uh, back then and your point of nobody really following the legacy of Ralph, Ralph Bakshi kind of goes back to this. I feel like there's untapped potential in animation. There, absolutely. There is. And by the way, let me just say that that interview uh, that you did with John Semper was fantastic. He I, was I, great. Wasn't that he? was, that was a uh, well done, sir. Oh, um, thanks man. And well, particularly, was, I mean, he was awesome though. And particularly uh, when he did mention that, that uh, my ears uh, perked up too. And, well, let's face it, though. I mean, Jim Henson was going to be excited about any form of storytelling because oh, sure, sure, he's sure. that kind of creator, right? So, um, you know, you just put a blank piece of paper in front of him. He's like, I'm really excited right, right. by what this I can do with this. This is a great-looking piece of paper. I'm going to fill it. So, yeah. And that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's that kind of talent, that those kind of visionaries that we need to establish things and – you know, maybe it's not something that's going to happen with like somebody just announcing themselves as a Ralph Bakshi Jr. Right. Coming out and saying, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to set the world on fire. Maybe things like, you know, the killing joke will make people accept it a little bit more. And something else can make people, you know, something else comes out, can make people accept it a little bit more. And pretty soon, you know, we've got those those stories that were being told animation wise. Well, let's hope so. I, I, I think. You know, animation is with us. It's never going to go away. And even if it does, even if it does stay within the parameters that are established right now, there's still plenty that can be done and enjoyed. And, and, you know, I'm always excited for, for animated projects and to see what they can do. Uh, you know, I was proven wrong with the new Ninja Turtles cartoon. I thought, well, there's no way it can be, it can still be interesting. It can still be good. And it's fantastic. They're telling new stories. They're developing these characters in ways they've never been developed before over the course of multiple cartoons and movies and whatever else. Uh, so the sky is the limit with animation. And I hope that we do in the next, you know, decade see somebody that comes along and recognizes that there's so much further to go. But and, and, and to your point, too, I will say that one of the biggest movies I'm looking forward to this summer is Kubu and the Two Strings. Oh, my gosh, right? Because that animated studio, you want to talk about uh, one that I have a lot of uh, respect for. Um, they are just killing it. I mean, they, yeah. they with between um, all the other movies that they've done, which a couple of them right now escape me, but uh, Paranormal is one of them. Coraline is another Paranorman, one. Paranormal, Coraline. Did they, do, they didn't do Tree of Life, did they? No, but they did box trolls. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh and and they're just uh they're great and I cannot wait to see I I'm I'm kind of sad that it's got a title that's gonna probably hurt it. But. I know, I know. Well, I can't believe that whoever was originally gonna uh distribute it dropped it. And somebody else picked it up. Wow. Uh and I that, can't and believe that's and that's the fight that we have. Uh, it and, really is. Because that tra I saw the trailer in the theater before that studio dropped it, and that trailer excited me more than anything else I've seen in the past year. 
And then I heard that it had been dropped and I was devastated. And, but, but of course somebody, somebody smart came along and picked it up. And I, I, I want to say it's Lionsgate. That probably isn't right, but I, I enjoy Lionsgate for how daring they can be. But anyway, yeah, Kubo and the two strings looks awesome. We got to wrap this thing up now, Mike Gordon. Uh, we didn't go where I thought we were going to go, but we covered a lot of great ground, as is usually the case. Where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me at newlegendmike.com. Uh, you can find all my books and uh, all the other projects that I'm working on. And, of course, uh, I do the weekly podcast, Earth Station One, so you can find me every week there. Awesome. Yeah, check out esopodcast.com and go look for that heavy metal episode. Um, which I, I missed somehow or other. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that because I totally want to hear you talk about heavy metal. Uh, I, I do a lot. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps ignite a, a desire in me to watch it once again. Uh, Mike, thank you for coming on and, uh, you will for sure be back on sooner than later. As always, it's my pleasure, sir. I didn't want to get too speculative, but how awesome would it be to see that? that lost Batman the Animated Series episode with death and dream. Oh my gosh, that would be great. And it's something that could happen. You know, let DC know. Tweet at them or, or whatever. Uh, and while you're on the social media, yeah, while you're on Twitter, as a matter of fact, I never put over the Twitter account because I, I don't get Twitter. But go to Twitter and look at needless things with it's needless things with an underscore at the end. It's very lame. I shouldn't have I should have chosen better, but what are you going to do? Uh, needless things podcast was too long to use. Uh, and you can also follow me at Phantom Triple Maker on Twitter. Or the best thing you can do probably is go to Facebook and join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group where I put up uh, some exclusive exclusive stuff that I don't share on my normal pages. Uh, all of the site updates will be on there from NeedlessThingsSite.com and Needless Things Podcast. And it's a good place to interact with the people that come on the show and the people that listen to the show. So please, Needless Things Podcast on Facebook. Check it out. If you have anything you'd like to say about the show, shoot me an email at phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I will respond. Uh, and finally, please do go check out supportphantom.com and just see what I'm offering. Uh, I mean, already what I'm offering is a fantastic website that updates five days a week with original content from myself and the talented Needless Things Regulars, as well as the Needless Things Podcast. But in addition to that, you can get exclusives, uh, heads up on merchandise, if, if I can ever get it made. All kinds of good stuff. Spread the word. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vix employee. And of course, it's at needlessthingssite.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. <laughs>